1: Welcome to The Exchange, a regular podcast brought to you by Reuters Breaking Views. I'm Rob Cox, the global editor of Breaking Views, coming to you from Zurich. This week I caught up with Andre Kalantzopoulos, the chief executive of Philip Morris International, the $110 billion tobacco company that sells Marlboros all over the world, well, except the United States. PMI recently put out what it calls its integrated report, detailing All sorts of stuff, including strategy, its plans for sustainability and good governance. And for listeners who might be puzzled by this, its commitment to getting people to stop smoking. You heard that right. The first sentence of the report reads as follows. Philip Morris International is leading a transformation in the tobacco industry to create a smoke-free future and ultimately replace cigarettes with smoke-free products to the benefit of adults who would otherwise continue to smoke, society, the company, and its shareholders. You see, Andre is on a mission to get smokers to switch away from cigarettes to what they call heated tobacco, principally PMI's ICO standard. Basically, it's an electronic gadget in which you stick a truncated version of a cigarette, which then, when it's heated up, emits nicotine that gives tobacco users that desired buzz. As Andre tells me, it's a lot less bad for you than smoking, which emits all sorts of other toxins, and it doesn't have the health risks that we saw last year with, say, vaping, which slammed Altria, PMI's American cousin, after it spent a fortune on a stake in Juul. From the sound of it, Andre thinks governments might even take an interest in helping him to get smokers to switch to heated tobacco. I'll let him do the talking. Here's my chat with the CEO of PMI. Good to see you, Andre. How How has been, how's your quarantine been?
2: Well, you know, we've been closed, actually, office-wise for about six, seven weeks. Then we started opening up slowly as the Swiss authorities here in in Switzerland have uh, essentially eased up uh, the quarantine conditions. And currently, actually, there is almost no limitation, surprisingly,
1: and I'm in Switzerland too. I'm in Zurich. I mean, it has been, in some ways, quite eye opening. It seems to have been the best place on the planet to be stuck in quarantine.
2: Well, yeah, as you know. But, you know, also I'm a bit worried because people are walking outside the streets. If you've noticed, as nothing has happened three weeks ago. So I hope we are not going to have a repetition of, uh, of the virus. But so far, I think Switzerland has managed.
1: Yeah, pretty well. I mean, you get a sense that people sort of have that sense of self-responsibility and kind of,
2: even though nobody,
1: I mean, I was in New York a couple of weeks ago and everyone was wearing masks, almost just sort of everywhere, mm-hmm. including running outside.
2: Well, in the office, we still have uh, uh, not many people yet, about 20% of the population that starts coming in and we still have distances and masks and everything. Uh, but the good thing, I think, if there is one good thing that we can derive out of uh, the coronavirus crisis is we learned all to work remotely and I think we can keep part of that as we go back to normal hopefully uh, because that increases I think both agility and flexibility for people much more and actually top-down we prove to ourselves that we can do this uh, and could do it efficiently. So, I don't think we should lose this opportunity, at least as a company.
1: How hard was it to move to remote working for Philip Morris International, And, glo- you know, when I think globally for your business?
2: Actually, remote working was not that difficult. Uh, we had quite a lot of, you know, digital tools already in place. People have their own tablets or uh, personal computers. We helped every employee to organize from home. Uh, obviously, not everybody has the luxury everywhere in the world to have a spare room. And sometimes people had to work uh, you know, from not the easiest place in the house. Uh, but I think overall, it worked very well. Uh, and the key objective for us was obviously the health and the safety of the people. So we had very clear guidelines everywhere in the world on how people should operate especially the frontline employees be it in the factories be it in the sales forces until we even stopped the operations of the sales forces in many countries Uh, and the second is the business continuity because even the simplest things as you notice become complicated Uh, and i think we manage very well thanks to the efforts of everybody Also during the period to give, uh, you know, peace of mind to our people, we said that there will be no redundancies during this period. So we could hold any plan. Uh, We guaranteed the salaries of the people. We even uh, gave a bonus for the frontline employees that obviously were at high risk and they volunteered to do it. Uh, So I think we did the right things for the people. And yes, we had some countries where the close downs lasted too much and were at the limit of being out of stock, but essentially we managed everywhere, except for Argentina, where we ran out of stock for one week, but now the factory is reopened. So we had to clearly, although we had, I think, uh, an excellent readiness and preparedness uh, and all the sanitary and personal protection conditions in our factories, so they were inspected. You we have to respect the fact that some governments don't give you the green light because they did give it to anybody. Uh, but overall, we managed well, actually.
1: And what, I mean, I'm just curious, before we talk about your business further, which I'd like to do, i just sort of in- interested to know, as a leader, you know, as a CEO of a company with, I don't know, how many employees do you have around the world? 80,000 plus, yes. 80,000, what challenge did you, how was it challenging for you and what? Did, how did you overcome some of those, you know, whether it's communication or motivation or those kinds of things?
2: Look, I think if we look in retrospective, uh, it has been probably the period where all our employees, based on the surveys we run during the confinement, that they felt the closest to their managers. And actually, they felt that we operated much more efficiently than any time before. Of course, uh, you know, people had concerns about the, their families, the people they love. They, many had friends that had the virus. So we had to work with them on how to overcome this uh, critical period, I would say. But overall, people felt much better than we would ever expect it. And actually, if we look at motivation of employees as an indicator, uh, it has increased. Uh, all the parameters of the internal lead promoter scores we use increased during the period, much more solidarity amongst people. Now, that's great, but uh, and we have to maintain it, but I hope we will not need another crisis to do this. And I hope many other companies <laughs> felt the same. So
1: i mean it, it, yeah that's really fascinating now let's turn a little bit to your business you guys recently put out an integrated annual report type thing that, which mm-hmm. which leads off with this mission statement let me just read it which says philip morris international is leading a transformation in the tobacco industry to create a smoke-free future and ultimately replace cigarettes with smoke-free products for the benefit of adults who would otherwise continue to smoke society the company and its shareholders now i, I was telling somebody beforehand i was going to speak to you i said, I'm oh, podcast with the, the CEO of Philip Morris International. And, and you know, this is, it's a pretty fascinating mission statement, a company that is trying to stop people from smoking the product that they're smoking today to try this other thing. Um, you know, has the pandemic accelerated or slowed the transformation? Or how, how has this moment, You know, this is a respiratory disease. How is this kind of into the mix?
2: Well, I think, the pandemic is just an interruption, I would say, in the process of convincing people to switch uh, out of cigarettes. And for those who will not quit nicotine altogether, I think switching to products that are scientifically proven that they are less risky than cigarettes is a good thing to do. That's mm-hmm. the principle of harm reduction. The principle remains the same. So far, tobacco control policies. Who are focused on restrictive measures, be it fiscal or regulatory, with the objective of preempting people from starting to smoke cigarettes or convincing people to quit. Yeah. But there are 1 billion people, after so many years of restrictive policies, still smoke uh, in the world. So offering them a second leg, a second uh, approach that is products that are better than continued smoking. I think it's sound policy, uh, and you know we spend a lot of time developing these products, and also scientifically assessing these products. They've been submitted to various regulatory authorities for review, including the U.S. FDA, that uh, last year in April authorized uh, ICOS, which is one of our heated tobacco products, uh, as appropriate for public health, and we are also in the process of review with the fda of our application for a modified risk tobacco product order that is essentially compared to cigarettes Um, but overall i would say these products have one common denominator they do not burn tobacco because the problem in cigarette smoking is not nicotine per se yes nicotine is addictive but it's not a primary cause of disease is not tobacco itself, is the fact that we burn tobacco, which is organic matter. And when you burn organic matter, you create toxicants. It's very similar to what, you know, happens with fossil fuels. Fossil fuels are not bad themselves. The problem is we burn them to create energy and that creates carbon dioxide and other- It's toxins. the by it's,
0: it's the, the byproduct.
2: that's the problem. So the, the common denominator of all Alternatives to cigarettes that have the potential to reduce morbidity and mortality is that they should not burn. So you have to heat them, either you heat tobacco at temperatures well below combustion, or you heat, you know, any vapor product where you heat water, propylene glycol, and glycerin with nicotine inside and some flavoring. But they all have the same base, and that's how you can reduce very substantially the toxins. If we take our heated tobacco product that was reviewed by the FDA, you reduce toxicants by 90 to 95% compared to cigarettes, depending on the list of toxicants you use, which is a very substantial reduction. And if you look at the entire evaluation of the product, which is a process very similar to what you have in pharmaceutical products, you have aerosol characterization, toxicity, then you have preclinical trials in vitro and in vivo and then clinical trials and the whole and that and you use the totality of the evidence to compare what happens to people who continue to smoke people who switch to this product or people who quit completely and the closer you are to the people who quit completely the more comfortable you are that over time you reduce disease and premature that's the constellation we're in that's what I would call the pre-market part of the product mm-hmm. and then once the product is authorized that is on the market you need the post-market survey first to continue verifying that you you actually have the reduction in risk and disease and also that your commercialization maximizes the adoption by the intended audience which is the smokers and minimizes any unintended audience, which is teenagers, which is people that have quit smoking, and now they have the risk to relapse because they think the product is better, or people that would otherwise quit and they don't quit because of this product. And all that has to be measured. and This is the process the FDA has put in place, and we hope many other markets will start implementing. Well how
1: how has that how has the the conversation changed as a result of some of the the you know look at some like what happened with Juul and these sort mm-hmm. of nicot, you know, liquids containing nic- nicotine and those delivery mechanisms, which you know there was an absolute panic um last year in the mm-hmm. market. How has that affected or 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 shaped the, the message that you have when you speak to regulators and customers?
2: Okay, we need to understand uh a little bit, because we had many unrelated events that were conflated into one problem. And before I analyze, let's say that this has confused a lot, the smoke. And because we also, that was spun by certain special interest groups, uh, we increased the confusion. And I think we'll come back to this, but I think it's very important Whatever happens in science is not used to confuse people. Uh, so, what happened is two different phenomena. The first thing is that e vapor products, to the opposite of other tobacco products, were kind of left unregulated for a period of time in the US. Because, yes, the FDA got jurisdiction of these products, if I'm not mistaken, in 2016, but under a lot of requests, these products were left without going through the FDA process of pre-market approval, initially until 2022, because the understanding was they were small entrepreneurs, so the heavy approach of the FDA should be, we should give them time. to essentially prepare. Reality is, it was tolerated that these products go unregulated, and that's not necessarily the right thing for a period of, for for these products because they contain nicotine, they are addictive and they're not risk-free. That's why we had what happened with Juul as a phenomenon. And I don't think this would have happened if these products had gone through the FDA process as our product ICOS did because it contained tobacco. Um, at the end of the day, there are a number of measures that have to be taken to address the youth, uh, the increase in youth prevalence that was pretty dramatic actually in the US of use of nicotine. Uh, and they go through you know, a number of already articulated measures that is, go through the FDA process, increase the age of Access to these products have appropriate controls in place at retail or at e-commerce, so you know teenagers don't cannot put their hands on it. And finally, technology can help a lot because these products are electronic products, so you can very well lock the product and only, you know, unlock it once age is verified. A little bit like we have a mobile phones until until you register you cannot use like biometrics on a a can be biometrics can just upload an ID there there are different ways and now we're integrating these technologies in our own products Uh, so as we have the technology I think the totality of all these measures will help with this problem but actually that was an issue the other was a little bit you know the studies that have been run for a period of time with some confirmatory bias first, trying to demonstrate that e-vapor products are worse than cigarettes. And then we had the very unfortunate situation of what we call a valley in the US, the lung disease, where regretfully some people lost their lives and many got diseased. But essentially it was due to the fact that some people put, you know, cannabis oils and other greasy, I would say, substances in any vapor product. And that has nothing to do with traditional nicotine products. And it's quite normal if I oversimplify that your lungs are not made to dissolve uh, fats. So we had the problem. But again, this was not at all related to what we understand as e-vapor nicotine-containing products, except that that what was understood and kind of propagated, and then we created a lot of confusion. Actually, that went beyond the U.S. in Europe, and if I take a country like France, we got to a certain point that that 70%, if I'm not mistaken, of smokers believe that e-vapor products really cause disease and are worse than cigarettes. Even the Ministry of Health of France had to intervene to tell people that this is not correct and true. So, unfortunately, you know, we have this situation uh, where there are, like in any innovation, people opposing new things. And we have some people with the ideology that try to preempt smokers from having access to this product. On the other side, we were kind of fortunate because our main product, ICOS, hits tobacco, so there was very little confusion because everybody was talking about vapor products, but we still saw the sales of the product kind of plateauing for a month during the height of the crisis.
1: Right.
2: So,
0: Did that come again, back though? That's back. people.
1: As people recognize that there are different, you know, the heated tobacco sure. has a it is a, a entirely different chemical, to or whatever chemical reaction.
2: Yeah, but I think evapor products, despite the fact that they have less satisfaction in terms of fa- of taste, also they are clearly much better alternatives than cigarettes. Uh, and I hope, you know, we will stop this debate. Of whether this product should be made available. Uh, and people that will follow facts and science and not ideological statements that you know create inflammatory headlines and confuse people, and there is no science behind. Because to achieve our you know, your initial observation, our mission of achieving a smoke-free future, we on our side and, you know as we're issuing our integrated report um, people can see the metrics and so on but on our side we developed the products we invested the money to do the scientific assessment we invested the money to build new manufacturing capabilities for these products and we invest commercially uh, just to give you a number 98 percent of our r d expenses are behind Reduced risk products or non-combustible sure. smoke-free products, and seventy percent of our commercial expense is behind this product. Of course, we you, are not in many markets of the world.
1: Right, However, and that's that's a that's partly a regulatory. But I mean, you also, I mean, it is it's a it's an incredibly ambitious agenda you have. But mm-hmm. as you say, cigarettes and other this is in the report that cigarettes and other combustible products remain the largest part of our business, representing 92.4% of volume and 81.7% of revenues. What um, what, you know, what's the, what is, I mean, what is a, a, a likely balance look like over the next, like what would be your goal for that number? Let's say the revenue number, if I were to ask you in five years or 10 years, what would
2: it look like? Well, in our integrated report, we said, uh, you know, as an ambitious, target uh, at least as an aspiration, I would say that by 2025 between 32 to 40, 38 to 40% to 42% of our revenues will be from uh, reduced risk products. uh, And that at least 40 million people have switched to these products of which half in OECD and half from non-OECD countries, because sometimes I'm asked, are you only focusing on the developed markets and not on the developing markets? The answer is, of course, we're focusing on both. So that's our ambition. And that's based on what we can do with our own capability. Of course, if governments align their regulatory regimes to differentiate products along their risk continuum, both in terms of uh, you know, supply or demand measures, or I would say, fiscality and uh, uh, different label, different labeling. And in the countries where it's extremely difficult to explain these products to consumer because of you know, commercialization, marketing restrictions, just a little bit more ability to talk to consumers about these products, then obviously we can accelerate quite substantially the numbers I mentioned before. Right. You've got tobacco lobbyists,
1: as the famous tobacco lobbyists are out there then making that case, I imagine, to regulators and regulatory authorities. All over
2: the place. Well, I don't know about famous tobacco. I mean, we try to explain to governments uh, of course. clearly that you know, the strategy should be both continue restrictive measures on cigarettes and even accentuate but differentiate the regulation which applies to these products so we can incentivize consumers to switch to them. Because we can do all the marketing work and all the commercial work, but if you are restricted dramatically by the regulation, that will take much longer, it's much more complicated. And we should not forget that in some countries, these products are prohibited. I mean, there are countries like Singapore, for example, where e-vapor products are prohibited. So the only product available to consumers is cigarettes. And we need to think a little bit that if we only offer cigarettes, that we perpetuate smoking. If governments encourage alternatives, like we do in many other areas of business. Uh, Take fossil fuels, okay. We encourage people to move to solar panels or renewable energies and so on. is not that the renewable energies have zero impact on the environment. We still need to build them, extract materials, and maintain them. But they're better than burning coal. Electric cars is the same. So the same logic of impact reduction or harm reduction that we apply in many other domains of the economy, they should be applied to products that are used by one billion people. Right. And, you know, I think to me, Whatever we try to do in terms of environment starts with, is based on five basic principles. One, explain to people what the problem is. In cigarettes, combustion is the problem. So it is, by the way, in fossil fuels. Two, offer people alternatives because without alternatives, they will not change their habits. Third is incentivize them through fiscal and regulatory measures, as we do. Four, is incentivize the companies with a stick and carrot policy, which is the supply side, like cap and trade, to invest in this innovation, in innovation and invest in the commercial effort to convince the consumers, because governments can't, and keep on going like this. And that requires collaboration between public sector and private sector. Uh, and that's how I see us achieving anything in terms of sustainability. Now, the good thing about cigarettes uh, is that alternatives exist and it's although it's, I would say, rather complicated sometimes for smokers to kick the habit, at the end of the day with an investment of between $30 to $60 in a device and two or three weeks of effort, they can switch. What and would I you think- say? Yeah, I was talking to a friend who
1: uh, is a smoker and I uh, asked what she thought of icos and uh, mm-hmm. her response is that, that well it just doesn't taste as good what would you say to someone like that who you know to encourage them to consider taking up icos or a heated tobacco product instead of a combustible one
2: well i think first of all we have to explain why this product will never have the taste of a cigarette it will never have the taste of a cigarette, because a lot of the taste of the cigarette is coming from the toxicants themselves, some of them, like formaldehyde, or what we call aromatic carbohydrates they call them aromatic for a reason. they have taste and aroma. And when you eliminate them, obviously that disappears. You eliminate completely the carbon particles because there is no combustion. So you eliminate certain taste elements, OK? But at the end of the day, what we see now from 14 million people is you make the effort for two weeks, you adjust the taste and once you adjust the taste, then when you go back to cigarettes, you find them very difficult to smoke. So encourage to make the effort uh, and also our commercial activities are there to help the consumer during this switching journey. So with much more follow up and encouragement, but you have to make this sacrifice. Now, it's not that a big sacrum. Right. Uh, So they will never be the same taste, but heated tobacco products are the closest you can get to a cigarette in terms of taste. They they have very similar nicotine delivery, by the way. Talk about aroma and taste. Evapor products are a bit further away. Uh, So, but I think habit is there, I mean, yes when you switch from espresso to tea uh, you have to get used when you uh, you move from american coffee to espresso you have to adjust but once you adjust you find the other rather weak or strong and that's the same principle for the non-smokers
1: i get it i guess espresso versus tea um well look, look one last question you last year there was there was talk about uh philip morris and altria getting back together you had been the one company before is that is a reunification, if you will, of the two companies still something worth, that you're considering or exploring? As
2: I said it many times, this chapter is completely closed. But we continue, obviously, our work with Altria for the commercialization of ICOs in the US and other projects we have together. I mean, the companies clearly have a number of intersection points.
1: Of course, yeah, shared brands, heritage, all of that. Well, look andre um, great to see you uh, at least virtually Um, i'll come and visit you on the lake there at some point soon stay healthy
2: thank you same for you thank you very much
1: that's our show for this week i'd like to thank andre for coming on and as ever hats off to freddie joiner our producer in new york subscribe to the views room and our sister podcast the exchange on itunes spotify or wherever you go to get your podcast fixes Check us out every day at BreakingViews.com. And don't forget to tune in next week for another edition of The Exchange. Auf Wiedersehen and stay healthy.
0: This spot is brought to you by Eaton Vance, the symbol of advanced investing. What's inside your ETF? With Eaton Vance High Yield ETF, you know. Inside, you'll find smart bond selection from a specialized team with deep fixed income expertise. Get to know what's inside EVHY, the symbol of high yield done right, at eatonvance.com symbols. Before investing, prospective investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. The current prospectus contains this and other information and is available at eatonvance.com. Read the prospectus carefully before investing. Not FDIC insured. Offer no bank guarantee. May lose value. Not insured by any federal government agency. Not a deposit. Investments involve risk. Principal loss is possible. Distributed by Foresight Fund Services, LLC.